Well, I'm excited uh, to have the opportunity to come and share from God's Word with you this morning. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to take it out and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27. We're continuing our series this morning, taking a look at friendship and godly friendship, friendship that leads us uh, closer to the Lord. And so we're going to, to look at that today. As you're turning there, I want you to think in your mind, think of your best friend. Who would you consider to be your best friend? Maybe it's your best friend now, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a, a co-worker, or maybe it's a, a college roommate, or a childhood friend. But who would you consider to be your best friend? Out of all the friends in the world, this would be your best friend. I, I think back to a, a time, uh, one of my best friends uh, for a season in my life, his name was Tom, and we met on the very first day of college. Uh, we both ran cross country, and we met up at practice uh, for the very first time, and I introduced myself, he introduced my, himself to me, and I remember distinctly at that moment not liking the guy. As we, for whatever reason, we just didn't like each other right off the bat. And I think it was uh, mostly because we were so much alike that we could see in each other what we didn't like about ourselves. And God has a funny way of, of putting people together sometimes that don't naturally like each other. And he allows for relationships and friendships to, to grow from that. And that's what happened with Tom and I. Uh, over the course of the, our, our time in college, we, we grew close. We... Um, just grew in our relationship. He ended up being my best man at my wedding. I was the best man at his wedding. And, and God just allowed that friendship to grow. And, and two things that became very evident about our friendship from the very get-go was that if we wanted to be in relationship with each other, we wanted to be friends together, we had to communicate. And Tom communicates differently than I communicate. And uh, so what we had to learn was walk through communication. We had to learn when, when he says this, this is what he really means. And so it took time uh, to use words and to communicate with one another. The second thing that we became very apparent early on was that our friendship was going to have times of confrontation and times of conflict. Uh, inevitably, we, we had great times of conflict. I remember one time we were in Florida on spring break doing beach reach, and uh, we were staying in a, a condo, and it became Tom's time to, to wash dishes for everyone that was staying in the condo. So there Tom is at the at the sink, washing dishes, doing what he hates doing. And I remember coming into the room and saying, hey, Tom, what's going on? He's like, hey, I'm washing dishes. You want to help? I'm like, nope, it's not my turn. Don't want to help. And then I began to, to look over Tom's shoulder and began to investigate what he was doing. I wanted to see and make sure he was doing a good job washing dishes because it was his job. And so then I began to point out, I'm like, Tom, you know you're washing dishes with cold water. He's like, I know I'm washing dishes with cold water. This is the way I do it. And I'm like, Tom, wait a minute. You don't wash dishes with cold water. You're supposed to wash dishes with hot water. And he took a, a step back and looked at me. And he's like, you're not the boss of me. I can wash dishes however. When it's my turn to wash dishes, I'll wash dishes how I choose to wash dishes. And I choose to use cold water. And I'm like, Tom, you're doing it all wrong. You can't wash dishes with cold water. Because what, you, what you're doing is the, you're not allowing the heat to melt away some of the cheese and some of the other things that had uh, coagulated on top of the plates. Hot water melts that stuff away. And also, you, hot water helps the residue of the soap wash away. So you're doing it all wrong. And in that moment, there almost were dishes that started to fly. We were so angry at one another that I just had to leave the room. 
because I couldn't, I couldn't stand being around Tom because he was totally destroying all of the dishes for eternity. And I left thinking to myself, he is so wrong and I am so right. And even to this day, you don't wash dishes with cold water. I even Googled it this week and it says, don't wash dishes with cold water. So we still, we choose now to, he can wash dishes however he wants to, but I'm not going to his house and I'm not eating off of his plates. Because there's stuff there. Anyway, the whole, whole point of that is to just pinpoint and to highlight the fact that when we're in relationship with one another, when we, we come to the place of having friendships where we entrust our lives to another person, where we give access to parts of ourselves to other people, where we invite them in, inevitably it's, there's going to be times where we communicate and there's going to be time of confrontation or conflict. And I don't want us to, to look at the, the Word of God today because I think Scripture speaks a lot to how we live in relationships with, with one another and that conflict and confrontation are not always bad. They do not have to be in a place where they sever relationship. But conflict and confrontation in biblical friendships can, in fact, be helpful towards helping us walk in godliness. Uh, as we're looking at Proverbs chapter 27, I, I want to highlight verse 17. Verse 17, uh, Solomon writes, as he is giving us words of wisdom, he says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. This is the truth that we're really going to look at today as, as we take a look at, at friendship, biblical friendship. Iron sharpening iron. I love this Ill image that, that Solomon gives us to illustrate that the times of hard confrontation in friendship. Iron sharpening iron. What, what's literally happening when iron sharpens iron is you have the collision of two similar elements coming together in a time of confrontation or collision. Iron sharpening iron. So there's a collision. Collisions are naturally not good. But we see here that Solomon is saying there is a way in which two objects that are similar can come together and be beneficial. They can be mutually beneficial and they can be helpful. They don't always have to be harmful. Iron is actually used to sharpen iron. If you take two knives together and let's say we have have two um, butcher knives together and they've got sharp edges or they've got dull edges, if you take them and you move them the right way over each other, it actually has the effect of sharpening each other. So rubbing together produces a positive outcome. You know, there's nothing in, in, in the world, well, there are a lot of things that are frustrating, but to me one of the most frustrating things in the world is trying to cut with a dull knife. Now, maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've been excited because you're having a, a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. And it's time for you to cut the tomato, right? And so you go to the drawer and you pull out a knife and you begin to cut that, that tomato and you realize the knife that you're using is dull. There's nothing more frustrating than that. Right? You, you want to eat the sandwich, you want to get on, you want to take that tomato and you want it to be so good, you're so ready to eat it and so you get the knife and you begin to cut and you, you give it some pressure and the more pressure you give, it doesn't cut. Instead, all it's doing is it's not breaking the skin. Instead, it's breaking down the inside of the tomato and making the tomato mush. That's frustrating when you have dull knives. But when you have a nice, fresh 
knife. I love the feeling of how a knife will slice cleanly through that tomato. It breaks the skin and almost keeps the whole inside of the tomato intact, even with the seeds and all of the other things. And then you're able to enjoy your BLT. Are you hungry yet? Our friendships. There's a way in which our friendships can be, make us better and more useful. There are ways in which the way we communicate and the way we deal with conflict, there's a way in which it can lead us and help us pursue godliness. But there's also a way that our communication and our confrontations, if done in the wrong way, can lead us further away from Christ and further away from being helpful. So this morning I want us to, to come to the, this proverb and I want us to begin by looking at forms of communication that are harmful in our relationships. And, and, and maybe if, while we're listening to this or, or you're hearing this, I want you to take some time and, and evaluate your friendships. Evaluate the words you choose. And maybe even just evaluate your friendship to see if it's on a healthy path or if it's towards harmful path. Look with me in uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 14. The danger we're going to see is communication that causes cursing. Verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. (laughs) I love the illustration of this point because I'm not naturally a morning person. I'm someone that, er, I'm becoming more of a morning person. But there was a, a time in my life where I calculated the maximum amount of rest that I possibly could have before I had to start my day. So I would, I would hold back every single moment. So I would systematically calculate the alarm so it would go off so that I had every single moment of sleep that I could. And so to, to come in and to make a, a premature waking of my life would be disaster. So if you were to come two seconds before my alarm goes off, it would start me off and I would have a horrible day. So I can relate not to the early riser that is highlighted in this passage, but the one that is the not early riser. So I can feel the frustration. So though one may be coming with the desire to bless, the one that is not the early riser sees that as cursing. And what I think is interesting about this this image here, or this example here, is the early riser is someone who, by their nature, sees who they are and values who they are. So they are an early riser, and so they want to bless the world. And so in some ways, they want the whole world, everyone in the world, especially their neighbor or their friend, to be just like them. If I'm an early riser and it works for me, then everyone should be an early riser. So this is the person that that evaluates other people based from themselves. So you're not like me, you should be like me. So we see the early riser, not the early riser. Early riser says everyone should be an early riser. So what does that early riser do? Tries to make the late riser or not early riser become like them. So what does it say he does? He blesses his neighbor with a loud voice. So he tries to take that neighbor and make them more like himself. He says, you're not good enough in who you are, but I am. I'm good, and so do it just like me. And the challenge here with this neighbor or this friend is that the words he chooses to use are spoken in the wrong way and at the wrong time. 
he uses words in the wrong way in the wrong time. The wrong words. He's loud in the morning to someone that doesn't want to be arisen early. Someone that says, I'm okay. So instead of, instead of seeing the differences and being okay with the differences, there's a trying to take the person that's not like you and make them like you. That's not real friendship. That's not friendship of sharpening. That's a trying to take a friend and, and make them model just like you. There's a challenge to that. So this person doesn't use gracious words. This, this person does not use words that encourage, but words that condemn, as though there's something wrong with not being an early riser. So that's the first way. The second negative type of, of conversation that can be harmful is quarreling. Look with me in uh, the very next verse, in verse 15. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. I'm going to be careful here because my wife is present and my wife is not this verse. She's, so just know that she's Proverbs 29. Like go to the next couple of chapters and that's my, this is not my wife. I love you, baby. This could be some quarreling on the way home. What we see here is, is a pattern of communication or interaction that is destructive. And I, and I love how, how Solomon, throughout this whole psalm, or the proverb, we don't have time to look at all of them, but, he, but he's trying to give an example. This whole proverb is, a, is basically focused around friendships and relationships. And through this, we can see that he talks about different types of relationships. In the earlier verse we just looked at, he's talking about the type of relationship between neighbors. So that's a type of friendship. In another verse, he talks about the relationship between a father and a son. So that's another type of relationship. And here he's giving us another example to talk about relationships, that of a husband and wife. And so we see that there are lots of different types of relationships, friendships that we live in. But here he's going to pull out the example for marriage to give us a pat- to show a pattern of communication and interaction that can be destructive. This is a situation where two parties in the relationship continue to see differences in one another and one party begins to continually point out the deficiencies in the other. Continually pointing out the things that the other party does not do or is not doing. Kind of like a nagging, leaky faucet. Continually reminding the person of all the ways they don't measure up, all the things that they're not doing. And we see here that Solomon's saying, this has great destruction it can be so destructive to the relationship not only in in a way that a a drippy faucet is annoying you know when you're at home and you hear that drip 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 it gets on your nerves it kind of grates at you but the word picture here is even deeper see there's a time in which that the destructive behavior can can come and it can boil up so that there's continual conflict it's it's kind of like continually being contrary this shows up in my, my, the car ride on the way to school sometimes in the morning. One of my kids will say, man, isn't it a beautiful, blue, sunny, or isn't the sky so beautifully in blue this morning? And one of the kids will say, well, actually, it's not blue at all. It's really orange and a little bit of red. And, so, and they, just, they just want to say something contrary to the other person, and it causes conflict. So the rest of the ride of the way to school, it's trying to decide, is the sky blue or is the sky orange? I'm like, really, who cares? 
but it's this con- constant conflict that happens. And sometimes this constant conflict that can happen, one of the parties can say, you know what, I'm done fighting. I'm, I'm done. I'm going to sit here and just allow you to continue to be a drippy faucet. And instead of being explosive, they allow the damage to go deeper into their being. And it's not so much the drippy faucet, but it's the drippy pipe that's behind the wall where there's a drip, 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 drip. And over time, what that does is it begins to soak in to the drywall. It begins to soak into to the, the wood and mold begins to grow. And the structure becomes unstable. And from the inside, it begins to crumble. That's not the type of relationship that is biblical friendship. But it's the reality of the type of relationships that we live in. There are people, sometimes we allow people in our lives that are that leaky, that that continue to confront us and continue to show us all the ways we don't measure up, all the things that we're not doing, and it destroys us from the inside out. Solomon is warning of this type of life. There's an African proverb that also illustrates this. It says, when when two bulls fight, it's the grass that suffers. Everyone loses. Like, think about that. When when two bulls are fighting, when they're locking horns and they're trying to, to beat each other down to show dominance over the other one, what do they do? They dig their heels into the grass, into the ground to try and get a better position, to get more leverage. And what they're literally doing is they're ripping up the grass, which inevitably is their very own food. And so in this locking horns and this battling, they're really destroying what they need for life. So this is not the type of behavior. This is not the type of communication, the type of conflict that God wants us to be involved in. But I love this proverb because it also shows us forms of communication that may be hard, but are very helpful in godliness. Look with me in in verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A true friend is one that does look at our lives and is able to see the difference is able to see the difference instead of using the differences and saying you should be more like me or I should be more like you and trying to conform the other person. They're able to to look at the other person and they take the person's life not against themselves but against the word of God and say this is where you might want to need to grow. This is an area in which you need to be further developed. A true friend is one that gives time and attention to the other. And they use words. They use words that may not always be flattering. But they are words that help communicate. And they are words that help the person see themselves for who they really are. And they provide words of correction. It's it's kind of like this. You know, I, I love the way that God has made the human body. 
Because there are parts of our body, apart from a mirror or apart from a friend, we, we can't see parts of our body. This morning, uh, Sarah reminded me that uh, one of the kids pointed out to her that she's got chocolate on the back of her pants. You're going to want to see Sarah's chocolate in the back of her pants later on. But the kids pointed out. See, there's a part of Sarah's body that she could not see, but someone else had to point it out. For in the same way, if there's a part of the back of my body. If there's a spot growing on my back, I can't see that apart from a mirror. But how great would it be if a friend were to say, hey, guess what? You've got a spot growing on your back. You might want to get that checked out. You might want to go to the doctor and, and get that checked out. That's what... God wants us to do in our friendships is be able to look at each other's backs, see the parts of us that we can't see ourselves, and be able to hold ourselves up to the light of the Word of God. So that if behavior or attitudes or feelings or emotions or the direction of our lives are going contrary to the Word of God, we're able to say, you might want to take a look at that. Not as a way of saying you're bad, not as a way of saying I'm better than you, or that you should be more like me, but more of we should be more like Christ. Let me help you. It's a word of correction. Oh, it's so better to be openly rebuked by a friend because the disposition of that friend is, I want you to be more like Christ, not like me. And so I want to encourage you in this way. Second type of words that we can use are words of counsel. Look with me in verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. I'm amazed at the effects that smells have on our lives, right? I remember going home to Grandma's house and having the smell of chocolate chip cookies like pervade the whole house, and how it just made me feel at home. Even today when I smell chocolate chip cookies, like I feel a sense of home. It's a, it's a good feeling. It's a warm feeling. And in the same way, uh, Solomon's saying, Oil and perfume, smells have an effect on us. They can, they can make us feel at home. They can make us feel at peace. They can help us be, feel energized. They can sweeten our lives. And he's saying in the same way, sitting down with a friend and walking through the challenges or thoughts of life, seeking counsel can be so sweet. When you grab a friend and you're struggling with something in your life maybe it's a decision maybe it's maybe it's feelings maybe i don't know maybe you're struggling at work and you sit down with your friend and you just say can you help me for a moment i I need some help i need i need someone to be able to clear the air with someone that's just going to to listen to my thoughts and help me put some pieces together and how sweet that is someone that will help you navigate the challenges of life And someone that will encourage you in the process to follow God. Someone that will speak the truth into your life. And not just tell you what you want to hear. I can tell you in the times that I've I've sought counsel in, in my own life. I haven't always come away from them being excited about what I heard. But they've always, the time of counsel has always been beneficial for me and my walk with God. Sometimes I've had people say very, very hard things to me in love. But it's because I, I, I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear what they had to say. Am I seeing this? Because we have a way of, of viewing our own lives from our own perspective and like justifying anything, right? Because we are wicked people. 
But it's the time where we come and we say, would you please speak into my life? We need people like that, that provide counsel for our lives. Do you have someone like that in your life? Do you, do you have someone in your life, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, if you don't have someone that, that speaks truth into your life, that sharpens you, that challenges you, not in a way that causes anger, but challenges you towards godliness, I encourage you to continue to allow that to flourish. Or if you're someone that's kind of hidden away from that, maybe, maybe there was a time in your life where you're open to that, but now you've kind of shut down, I want to encourage you to once again engage in that. I think it's also beneficial and helpful for us today. I want us to look at uh, this sharpening type of relationship that's exemplified in the Bible through the account of the friendship between Paul and Barnabas. So we're going to spend the rest of our time just looking at their relationship and seeing how, what it really looks like for iron to sharpen iron in a relationship. We can look to the book of Acts and we can learn much about Paul and Barnabas' relationship. In Acts chapter 4, uh, we, we first hear of a man named Joseph. Joseph is a man that recently came to know Christ. He he heard of the power of the gospel and and began to follow Christ. And soon after coming to know Christ, this Joseph, his life was changed, his demeanor was changed, and so his name was changed. He goes from being called Joseph to being called Barnabas. With Barnabas itself, the name means son of encouragement. So because of the power of Christ working in Joseph's life, he now takes on a new demeanor. He is Barnabas, the son of encouragement. So that's his role. You know that he's going to be one that comes alongside other people and sharpens them by encouraging them. He's going to be generous with his life and he's going to make people see the generosity of God and the encouragement that God gives us. So that's Barnabas. But we also learn early in the book of Acts of another man named Saul. Saul was a religious man who loved God and wanted to follow God with all zeal. And because of his zeal for his religious practice, he decided the best thing that he could do for his life, the best thing he could do for God is to persecute Christians. So he went about the land persecuting Christians. And one day on his way to Damascus, as he's going there to persecute Christians, Jesus shows up in a light and speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, Saul's life is immediately changed. He realizes who Jesus is and he surrenders to the lordship of Christ and the saving work of Christ. And his life is forever changed. And soon after that, his name goes from being Saul to being Paul. And Paul becomes one of the great founders of the church, the great bedrocks of the church that takes the gospel and expands it to the known ends of the world. It's these two men, they inevitably come to a point in their life where they meet up. If we turn to Acts chapter 9, we can see this encounter. Paul has gone away for a while after coming to know Christ, and he's come back into Jerusalem. He's coming to stand before the apostles, and he, he wants to, he knows God has called him to do work for the church, and so he stands before the apostles, but they're skeptical of him. They knew who he was, and they don't believe that he could change as much as he could have in this short amount of time. And this is the account in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. It says, And when he, this is Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they, the disciples, were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord 
who had spoken to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and, in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. Paul, the son of encouragement. Or, sorry, Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Paul, now inter- intersecting in their lives together. Barnabas being able to stand before the apostles and vouching for Paul. He's able to say, I've seen this man. I know who he was, but I've seen the change in his life. Give him access to us. Give him access to the ability to do ministry with us. That's beautiful. I I can't tell you the amount of times in which someone has come alongside me when the whole world is saying, you're a failure, you're worth nothing. And then someone comes in and says, you know what? You know who Jesus says about you? Jesus says that you're loved. And I see that the love of Jesus is in you. And give you just that word of encouragement. How much does that build us up? How much does that want to make us work even harder for the Lord in the grace of the Lord? It's Paul and Barnabas. And so they begin this relationship together. And we see later on in Acts chapter 11, Paul and Barnabas actually come to the place of where they partner in ministry. In Acts chapter 11, Barnabas is ministering in in Antioch. And he calls for Paul and says, Paul, will you come and join me? And so they come together in the church and they're, they're working to encourage the church. And then from there they go out and they begin to share the gospel and plant churches throughout the region. So the two of them team up and they're di- the dynamic duo of the kingdom of God going from town to town, area to area, planting churches and encouraging believers. And all is well. Until we come to Acts chapter 15. If you turn there. Acts chapter 15, looking in verse 36. As I said before, in all relationships, in good friendships, there comes a time where there inevitably will be conflict. There inevitably will be confrontation. And we see confrontation arising between Paul and Barnabas. Look with me in verse 36. It says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them. John called Mark. But Paul thought not best to take it with them. Take take one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Conflict arose between arguably the greatest mission team of all time. Two men that had a heart for God and had a heart for the kingdom come to a place where they disagree. It says they disagreed sharply. I can't imagine that a conversation was a conversation where they're like soft words. There was a great disagreement. Conflict arose over their philosophy of ministry. It all had to to go around and to do with John Mark. You see, John Mark, during the, the first mission trip, had deserted both Paul and Barnabas. For whatever reason, Scripture doesn't tell us, but for whatever reason, John Mark takes off and he leaves them. And so they continue on. And that had a direct impact, a, a, a big impact on both Barnabas and on Paul. 
John Mark's departure, his desertion, didn't sit well with Paul. And as they begin their second trip, as they're beginning, they have the plan worked out. We're going to go. We're going to encourage those churches that were already there. Barnabas says, hey, I've got an idea. Let's, t- let's take John Mark along with us. And Paul's like, no, let's not take uh, John Mark with us because he was a deserter. And so they disagreed on their philosophies of ministry. You see, Barnabas was the encourager. Barnabas was one that saw God's ministry through the eyes of grace. He understood that this was an opportunity for John Mark to come alongside him and be nurtured in his relationship, be nurtured in his walk with God. And so he wanted to give him another chance. But Paul, on the other hand, wanted to maintain mission fidelity. He understood that the gospel was urgent, that there were people out there that didn't know Jesus, and he wanted to get the gospel to them as soon as possible and didn't have time for people that were wishy-washy. He didn't have time to nurture a young man. He needed to get out there and tell the people of Jesus. So you sit back and you say, these are two godly men. Which one's right and which one's wrong? Neither. Neither is wrong. Both of them are living in the ways God has made them. Both of them are completely right. And God allowed this conflict, this confrontation, and he allowed them to have sharp words for one another. But it's amazing here is that it did not distract them from the mission of God. Instead, it sharpened one another. It was Barnabas was a reminder of Paul saying, Paul, you know we live in this era of grace. You are a recipient of the grace of God, just like everyone else. And Paul was a reminder to Barnabas, saying, you know the mission is vital. And so in that, they rubbed each other, they, they conflicted with each other, but they spoke truth into each other's lives. And when they departed, they didn't depart as enemies. God used their disagreement to impact the kingdom, because now, not only... There wasn't just one great mission team. There were two. And they went in two different directions. So because of their disagreement, God was using that to expand the kingdoms in even greater ways. That's how God works. When we're willing to trust Him, and we're willing to follow Him, and we're willing to live in relationships with one another. Paul's message was needed to the Gentiles. Barnabas' message was also needed. So my question to you this morning, my question to us, is are we living in sharpening relationships? Are the relationships that you've chosen, the people that you've chosen to draw close to you, your best friends, are they living in your world as sharpening to you? Or are they harming you? I want to encourage you to really take some time considering that and maybe make some changes. Are you cultivating relationships where you are allowing people to watch your back? It's easy for us to be people that want to watch other people's backs, but sometimes, and, and it is necessary for us to have people that watch our own backs, for people to, that we draw close and we say, help me see. It's easy for us to be people that want to watch other people's backs, But sometimes, and and it is necessary for us to have people that watch our own backs. For people that we draw close and we say, help me see the areas of my life that I can't see. That's hard to do. Again, it's easy to be the one that's the watcher. 
But to welcome someone in to watch our own backs can be hard. I want to encourage you to, to find people like that. Do you have friends that you go to that will give you godly counsel? Are you humble enough to go to someone and say, I don't have this all figured out. Can you help me? And do they give counsel that is godly? That's what friends are for. That's what God has given us, is so that our friends will not just be people in our lives that cause pain, but they're people that God wants to be in our lives that sharpen us and that help us move towards godliness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Oh, we thank you for the examples of godliness that you provide through Paul and Barnabas. We thank you for their relationship. We thank you for the words of Solomon this morning. We thank you for the wisdom that we've heard. And Father, I pray today that as we allow these words to settle into our spirits, that your spirit would be active to convict us where we need to be convicted, encourage us where we need to be encouraged. But I pray that this word doesn't just, as it's settled on us, that it doesn't just stay here. Let us wrestle with it through the rest of our day, through the rest of our week, and help us consider our friendships. Help us to consider what type of friend we are and what type of friend we choose to have. May you encourage us to walk closer to you day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.